This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. There are two errors pastors and churches tend to make with regard to the topic of giving. One is to talk about it too much. The other is not to talk about it at all. Neither of those are healthy. Now, there are numerous reasons why it's important to talk about giving. Um, For example, Jesus talks about money more than he does heaven or hell combined. And embedded within his discussions on money are calls to exhibit radical generosity. Related to this, then, is that giving is part of our discipleship. Giving is part of our discipleship. It's part of the, 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 the number of expressions that we have to demonstrate our love for and our obedience to Christ. So biblically speaking, you cannot talk about growing in godliness without talking about giving. You can't talk about growing in holiness without talking about giving. You can't do it. The two have to go together. Giving is part of our discipleship. One other reason it's important to discuss this, there are numerous studies that have been done on the American church and uh, American Christians in particular on the topic of giving. One such study concluded that American Christians give on average just two to three percent of their income. A study performed in 2013 found that those who do tithe, that is give 10%, compose between 10 and 25% of the families in the church but they often provide 50 to 80% of the church's funding. In other words, only a minority of us are generous with our money. So today, I wanna lay out five biblical principles for giving. It's not all the Bible teaches on the subject. Okay, I want, wanna make sure you hear that. It's not all the Bible teaches on the subject, but these five are a good place to start. Now, so for some of you, this is gonna be review. You know this, you were taught this as children, as you grew up in the church, and you've been practicing it for decades. It's still good to be reminded. For others of you, this is going to be new, maybe even radically new. So let's look at five biblical principles on giving. Number one, giving should be a regular, planned priority. Should be a regular, planned priority. 1 Corinthians 16, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. There it is. Regular, planned, priority. First day of the week. The Lord gets the first fruits. This is resurrection day. This is the Lord's day. This is Sunday. Paul just spent quite a bit of time talking about the significance of the resurrection in the previous chapter leading up to this one. Each first day of the week, Each first day of the week, every week, on the Lord's day, they were to set aside a sum of money. And the instruction that Paul gives the church in Corinth is also instruction he gave the churches in Galatia. And by the time he writes 1 Corinthians, there are a number of churches in Galatia. So this is not uh, an oddity. This is not an outlier. This appears to be Paul's regular practice to exhort believers to make giving a regular planned priority. Now, this means if you're a pocket change giver, you know what I mean by that? 
the plates are going around and you think to yourself, oh shoot, or some derivative thereof, I forgot to plan for this, I'm unprepared. And you reach into your pocket and you put whatever you have in the plate. Now look, that's better than nothing. That's better than nothing. Now that I've drawn attention to it, you can bet there won't be anybody that does it today. (laughs) That's better than nothing, but you've got an opportunity, an incredible opportunity for growth. An incredible opportunity for growth. Instead of being an impulsive giver or an unplanned giver, put thought into it. Maybe even pray over it. Work towards having a practice of regular planned giving. If that's weekly, great. If it's bi-weekly, great. Monthly, wonderful. Take advantage of systems that will help encourage this. Many of you use uh, giving envelopes and you've got those next to your checkbook or some visible place where you can't miss it, you're always reminded of it, wonderful. Some of you are using the Alliance Bible Church app to give, my wife and I use, uh, give, do our giving that way. Um, use whatever means you feel is necessary to make your giving a regular planned priority. That's the first principle the scriptures teach us. Second, giving should be proportionate to income. First Corinthians 16, again, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In keeping with your income could read however one has prospered. Now, some Bible scholars contend the idea of the graduated tithe lies behind this. That is, giving shouldn't be a fixed percentage, but should be allowed to flex upward depending on one's income. Seems the Apostle Paul was saying something similar in 2 Corinthians 8. He writes, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. There is a shrinking of the gap, if you will, between rich and poor within the church. And what, what does that do to? It's due to voluntary proportionate generosity. It's not enforced any other way. Voluntary proportionate generosity. Think about it this way. For someone making $100,000 a year, giving away 10% is likely negligible. It's likely negligible. It should be pretty easy to do. That family probably could give, afford to give away even more than that. But someone making $5,000 a year, giving 10% away could be crippling. So what Paul's instructing us to do is to think less about fixed percentage than relative proportion. There's another place where you see the outline of this line of thinking in 1 Timothy 6. Paul says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul is writing, context, Paul is writing to a younger pastor, Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's telling Timothy to provide targeted instruction to his church, to those in his church who are materially wealthy. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to provide a kind of challenge to them 
to shoot for a higher echelon of generosity, to shoot for a higher echelon of generosity. Well, how much is that? Everybody wants to know. How much is that? I can't settle that for you. I can't settle that for you. One thought, though, I would encourage you to wrestle with. If you're completely comfortable with the amount you're giving away, you're probably giving away too little. If you're completely comfortable with the amount you're giving away, you're probably giving away too little. Now, this leaves giving in the hands of the, in, in, in the, the hands and the hearts and the souls of the individual. Okay? It's none of my business what you give. It's none of your business what I give. It's God's business. It's between you and the Lord. Now, the Bible's instructions on generosity should cause us to think differently about church budgets. This is a brief aside. Typically, we think about church budgets in terms of this. What will the various pastors, staff, volunteers, ministries, and facilities need in order to labor in the Lord in the coming year? That's typically how we think of a church budget. That's usually how all businesses work. That's how business puts together a budget. But look, if, if giving is part of our discipleship and giving is meant to be done in keeping with one's income, church budgets provide opportunity to help advance our growth and generosity. Okay, let me talk turkey with you for a minute. Some churches are setting their budgets so low they're not helping their people grow in their giving. Their budgets are so low they aren't helping their people grow in generosity. And therefore, they're not helping their people grow in discipleship. I don't know about you, but I don't give to Alliance Bible Church or anything else just to help me to budget. I give because God tells me my soul needs it. Without it, I die. I wither on the vine. The Lord tells me giving is part of my discipleship. So a church budget or a ministry budget should challenge us to be generous because we need to grow in our giving if we're gonna grow in holiness. Jerry Caven, some of you may know that name, he owned a, a successful restaurant chain, he owned a couple of banks, a ranch, a farm, owned some real estate ventures. At age 59, he and his wife were looking for a lakeside retirement home. But God had other plans for them. This is what Jerry said. God led us to put our money and time overseas. It's been exciting. Before we gave token amounts. Now we put substantial money into missions. We often go to India. Quite a radical shift from looking for a lakeside retirement home. What changed? What changed? Caven was asked that question. What changed, Jerry? This is what he said, quote, it was realizing God's ownership. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money, to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was our money. Do you think of money that way? You think of it that way? The money in our bank accounts is God's money. It belongs to him. And when you give, you're not giving away your money. You're giving away God's money. Think about it this way. Suppose you have something important that you want to get to someone who needs it. You wrap it up, you put it in a box, you put a little bow on it, whatever, write your decoratives on the outside, and then you hand it to the FedEx guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, he opened it, and kept it? You'd say, that package doesn't belong to you. 
You're the middleman. It's your job to get it from me to the person it's intended for. Yes, absolutely right. So just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. When it comes to money, folks, we work for FedEx. It's not our job to keep it, but deliver it elsewhere. So giving should be a regular plan priority. Giving should be proportionate to income. Third, giving should alleviate suffering, especially that of believers. Giving should alleviate suffering, especially that of believers. This collection that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, which we've been reading, is the same collection he refers to in Romans 15. Let me read that for you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings." Corinth is a city located in the province of Achaia, uh, modern-day Greece. So the collection that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 16 is the contribution he's talking about in Romans 15. Notice who the money's for. The poor among the Lord's people. Poor among the Lord's people. So the believers in the Jerusalem church were poor, and there were numerous reasons for this, not the least of which was that persecution at this time had sprung up against them, and it starts, as most persecution does, starts as economic persecution. And so Paul is engaged in a fundraiser for believers in the Jerusalem church, and there were churches in Galatia, Macedonia, and Achaia who all participated in this. And all their giving is working to alleviate the suffering of believers in the Jerusalem church. Let me mention three ways your giving can help alleviate the suffering endured by your brothers and sisters in Christ. First, give to the benevolence fund of your church. If that's here, great. If you are part of some other church, give to the benevolence fund of your local church. Most churches have one. Uh, you know life hits, life strikes, you're hit with unexpected things, financial hardships fall, health, job loss, all these things. That's what a benevolence fund does. We have one here. And our team uses that to help meet the material needs of those in our church. Second, give to Kama Services. Kama Services, C-A-M-A. Compassion and Ministry Associates. It's the relief arm of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I would encourage you to check out their website, commaservices.org. Commaservices.org, C-A-M-A services.org. Uh, there's, there's too many places where they're present for me to talk about it. Their website does a great job of talking about where, where they are. Um, they're involved with, with uh, helping with the Iraqi and Syrian refugee crisis. You all have been following the news on that with uh, militant Islam rendering Christianity all but extinct in those countries. Christians have been on the run for years. Um, Kama Services is, is actively engaging those refugees to provide them with uh, material help uh, and spiritual help. Um, they're present in Africa. You know, one of the big needs in Africa is uh, fresh water uh, and health care. And uh, Kama Services is active and present uh, there. They're in uh, the, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which, which is a rough place, but they're dealing with an Ebola outbreak right now. And so our Kama Services people are on the ground and they're working uh, with those folks. So I wholeheartedly recommend you um, consider giving to them. 
Third, sponsor a child through Compassion International. Sponsor a child through Compassion International. I love Compassion. Uh, they have what they call a three-chord approach to ministry. Christ-centered, church-based, child-focused. Christ-centered, church-based, child-focused. Um, when you sponsor a child, you're, you're, yeah, you're helping them to get food, water, shelter, education. But the unique thing about Compassion um, is the uh, energy and intentionality they put behind getting kids connected to churches. Um, we've got Alliance missionaries all over the world who speak glowingly of how compassion works with them. Uh, I've got a friend who um, was the lead missionary in Burkina Faso, West Africa for years. And he said compassion was fantastic to work with. Um, we, there are a bunch of compassion kids who ended up being in the Alliance churches in Burkina Faso. So consider doing that. Giving should alleviate suffering, especially that of believers. So here we are, review. Giving should be a regular planned priority. Should be proportionate to income. Should alleviate suffering, especially that of believers. Fourth, giving should support the spread of the gospel. Giving should support the spread of the gospel. First Corinthians 6, perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. This phrase, help me, is a technical term for assistance with food and money for a trip one is taking. It doesn't come across in the English this way. In the original language, it's, it's a little bit better. It's a formal title. It's a technical title given to providing material aid to someone who's taking a trip. Same word is used in Titus 3. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. It's providing resources for someone's trip. Now, what are they all doing? Paul, Zenos, Apollos, what are they all doing? They're traveling the places that don't have access to the gospel. Once they arrive, they're preaching the gospel. They're starting churches. Once those churches are started, they revisit them to make sure that those churches are strengthened and established. What do we call this? That's missions. <laughs> That's missions. They're missionaries. This is financial support given to missionaries. Our giving should support the spread of the gospel. Now, as a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, I would love to see us have 100% participation in giving to missions. 100%. If you haven't given to missions, I'm asking you to give to missions. The Alliance, now we're not the only kids on the block here, but the Alliance has more than 700 missionaries serving in 70 different countries. When you give to missions, you support their work. When you check the missions box in your envelope, when you check the missions box online, you're giving to support the spread of the gospel. So giving should support the spread of the gospel. Last, five, giving should support the work of your local church. Galatians six, let me just read a handful of verses here. Galatians six, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Corinthians 9, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? And then a few verses later in verse 14, Paul says this, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. One more, 1 Timothy 6. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. 
For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. The text teaches giving should support the work of your local church, wherever that may be. And the money that's, that comes in should be coming in from the people who attend that particular church. So when you give to the ministries and operations of a church, or a general fund as it's known, you're providing this kind of support. Five principles. Giving should be a regular plan priority. It should be proportionate to income. It should alleviate suffering, especially that of believers. It should support the spread of the gospel and support the work of your local church. Now, I want to conclude by asking why. I want to conclude by asking why. Why do we give? Why are we called to give with such radical generosity? Why do we do this? What's the purpose of this? What's the, what is the impetus behind this? Jesus speaks in Luke 12, and he says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to notice a couple of ideas in those verses as we conclude this morning. Notice the order. First, God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's the first idea. The second one, the one that comes after that, sell your possessions and give generously. Notice the order. God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Therefore, give generously. Notice the order is not opposite of that. Give generously and the Lord will be pleased to give you the kingdom. Notice the order. Who gives first? God gives first. He gives first. And in a way that you will never be able to outgive him. He gives you the kingdom. He's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus highlights that first. Let that sink in. He's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Therefore, give generously. God gives first, we give second. The fuel, the engine, the driving force, the motivation behind giving generously is the generosity of God. God gives first. He gives us the kingdom first. We don't qualify for the kingdom by giving generously. No. God gives us the kingdom first and then we give generously. Giving is a response to God's grace. And notice the result. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think there's double entendre happening here. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, just look where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's an indicator. But he's also saying something else. He's also saying something else. Let me illustrate what I, what I think he's going after. Sometimes in ministry, I'll hear someone say, I want to have more of a heart for God. In ministry, I'll hear, you might have heard this too as you talk with friends. I want to have more of a heart for God. There are numerous ways that that happens. But one is where you put your money. One is where you put your money. Randy Alcorn, in his little book, The Treasure Principle, 
unlocking the secret of joyful giving, which I would recommend to you. The Treasure Principle by Alcorn. He illustrates it this way. He says, suppose you buy shares of General Motors. What happens? You suddenly develop an interest in GM. You check the financial pages. You see a magazine article about GM. You read every word. Even a month ago, when even a month ago, you would have passed right over it. I can testify that that's true. In high school, I was in an economics class, introductory economics class, and they had us buy stocks. First introduction to this kind of thing. They wouldn't let us use our parents' money. So we use fake money. We pay fake money to buy, buy fake stock in a company. Five stocks, and, and then you had to track it. Well, I'm working with fictitious money, and suddenly I'm interested in Merck. I'm using fictitious money, and suddenly I'm reading the financial pages. My, my mom comes into the, the, the kitchen one day. She's meet, she sees me reading the financial pages. She looks at me and says, what are you doing? I'm making money, Ma. Leave me alone. It's true. You buy stock in GM, you buy stock in whatever, suddenly you're interested. Suppose you're giving to, uh, to help African children with AIDS. When you see an article on the subject, what happens? You're hooked. You're reading it. If you're sending money to start churches in India and an earthquake hits India, you watch the news, you fervently pray. Your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. Alcorn says this, I've heard people say, I want to have more of a heart for missions. He says, I always respond the same way. Jesus tells you exactly how to get it. Put your money in missions. Put your money in missions and in your church and in the poor and your heart will follow. If you want to develop more of a heart for the Lord, put your money in his work. If you want to develop more of a heart for God, put your money in his work. Put your money in alleviating the suffering of God's people. Put your money in the support of global missions. Put your money in the support of your local church. Money leads, hearts follow. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are lavishly generous with us. You so loved, you gave us your son to live and die in our place. You chased after us before we even gave you a single thought. Your son Jesus, though he was crowned in a thousand degrees of resplendent glory, became poor and unseemly so that we may join you in glory one day. It's in your very nature to give generously. And it's our prayer to become like you. God, I pray that our church would be strange to the culture we inhabit because of the way we give. And we do so for the sake of Jesus, the good of his church, and the advancement of the gospel. We worship you now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.